This morning we're just looking at one verse as we continue our study this summer series through the high priestly prayer of our Lord Jesus. This morning we're looking at verse 24, the, the fourth of, of the main petitions of Jesus for his people. And here's what he says. Hear the word of God. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. The reading of God's word. Let's ask his blessing. Heavenly Father, as your spirit inspired these words we just read, now grant the spirit's illumination ministry unto us so that we might understand your truth and apply it to our lives in the way that you intend. Oh Lord, help us to hear with ears that truly hear. Help us also to glimpse with the eyes of faith the unseen reality of heaven itself where our Savior is even now and inspire us, Lord, as we consider his prayer for us. And it is in his name we pray now. Amen. We can be seated. <clears throat> Well, in this chapter, our Lord, the great high priest, well, within hours of his own departure from this world, is giving utterance to the deepest desires of his heart on behalf of his own, on behalf of his people. To review, so far, the first three petitions really have to do with his people in this world, the church in the wilderness, as it were, his, his people in their pilgrimage. His first petition for them is that they might be preserved. His second, that they might be sanctified. His third, that they might be unified. And again, these are prayers for his people on earth, making their journey. Father, keep them in your name from the evil one. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. May they be one, even as we are one. This next petition that I've just read to you, this fourth one, the crowning one of all, pertains to the promised land, the destiny, the goal towards which we press. And that is our text this morning as Jesus offers up this prayer for his people. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Now here in the presence of his disciples, Jesus prays for the realization or the fulfillment of what he had promised uh, back in chapter 14 at the very beginning of his that so-called upper room discourse where he said, in my father's house are many rooms. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. 
And now four chapters later here, our Lord finishes on the same note. He, as he communicates to his father his heart's desire uh, for his people to be with him where he is to, and to behold his glory. That's heaven. That's the heart of the promised land. And let's also remember that Jesus prayed these words out loud in the presence of his disciples. He did it for them to hear and for us. Uh, th these words are uh, instructive. And it should impress us, we should be impressed with uh, the, the, the certainty and, and the assurance with which Jesus spoke. Jesus here does not merely wish or, or you know, hope or even desire in the sense of simply requesting something and kind of hoping it comes to pass, wishing it, if you will. No, it's much more, more certain and sure than that. The son addresses his father with confidence. That confidence comes out in the words that he uses in this petition. Literally, he says, I will that they may be with me. Any of you just taking your first year Greek, uh, starting seminary, know it, it's in your vocabulary, probably your first chapter. Thelo is the Greek, I, I will that they may be with me. And that's a rather strange way to make a petition. It's closer to a demand than a request. It really is sort of a demand. I mean, if our children were to come up, us to, come up to us and say, oh, mom, dad, I will that you give me dinner. You know, we'd say to them, that's not the way you ask for things, kid. Mind your manners, learn to show some respect. Or go to your room. And in fact, nowhere in Scripture will you find God's people praying that way. Uh, we are taught to make our request to God with, with humility and reverence uh, in the form of a petition, not a demand, but a petition expressing deference to the divine will. Your will be done. But when it comes to Jesus, it is not strange at all, but perfectly appropriate, fitting that, that he put it this way because he is expressing as God the Son the will of his Father, the immutable, eternal will of God. Jesus is expressing the heart and mind of God, the will of God, which cannot be changed or thwarted. And so this prayer breathes with certainty. Believing in Jesus, we can have the assurance, we can have the confidence of a place in the Father's house of many rooms. Though the challenges and perils along the way are many, yet his people shall surely reach their journey's end. The promised land. Because Jesus doesn't simply wish it for them or hope for it. He sovereignly wills it. Those for whom he prays here evidently comprehend all of his own. He prays not only for those who were around him at the time, the 11 disciples or the apostles, but for those also who shall believe in, in him through their word, through their teaching. Their names were ever on his breastplate and on his shoulder as he, the high priest, prays. He prays for all those whom the Father gave him, the Father's love gift, those he chose from before the foundation of the world. That's you if you're a Christian, and that's me if I'm a Christian. And the end is not in doubt. Every single person whom God intends to save will come to saving faith and then will come to future glory. It's guaranteed. 
God doesn't just plan, and Jesus is not <coughs> secure, only the, the possibility or, or sort of option of salvation. He chooses, he gives, he saves, and he completes that work. He brings it to its completion. The roster of the redeemed will be full in that day. All that the Father gives him shall surely come to him. None shall perish. None shall be snatched from his hand. Rest assured, the Lord will bring to glory every soul he intended from eternity to save. That golden chain is unbreakable. It's an unbreakable chain. Those he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And that's what our text is really about, that, that, that glory, glorification. So let's turn our attention now to the, that, which is like the great burden or core of the prayer here. What Christ is seeking for his own. Well, for them he prays that they may be with me where I am. This is really that's a, a, a something. The words I think about every time I'm at a Christian funeral. That as sad as it may be, Jesus' prayer is answered, and this is the climax of his his petitions. One that embraces and embodies really all that he's asked for, all that he could ask for for his people, for and for us. You know, in, in particular, indeed, holy aspirations could. Or, or find no higher summit or loftier peak than this. Whom have I in heaven but you? As the psalmist says, no mind imagines anything grander. The good wine of our Father's kingdom has no rarer vintage than this, being with me where I am. I go to my Father, Jesus said, and to your Father, to my God and to your God. Where he is, is at the right hand of the majesty on high, the supreme place of the palace of the great king. He stands above all names and principalities and powers of this world and the other world. And far above them all, even the highest of them. And to be with him is to be among those heights of eternity. To be with him is to be at the source of light and love and holiness and goodness. To be with him is to be near the source, the seat of all power in heaven and on earth. It is to be at the center of all true glory, created or uncreated. And this, beloved, is, is what the Puritans called the heart of heaven's happiness. The paradise within the paradise of God, if you will. It is being there with Jesus in it. Indeed, to be with Jesus is really, for Christians, the very definition of heaven. You know, it's not you know, the streets of gold or the gates of pearl or all the other details that we see in Scripture as, as wonderful they are, but really what are these compared with that perfect and immediate presence of him? At one who... who is the radiance of the Father's glory and the exact representation of his nature. And you see, where he is, heaven is. 
For he is heaven. He is its all. He, it's light and love and joy and glory. I think we can agree with the Puritan Samuel Rutherford who said, Oh my Lord Jesus Christ, if I could be in heaven without thee, it would be a hell. And if I could be in hell and have thee still, it would be a heaven to me. For thou art all the heaven I want. And I hope you can agree with that. See, all the heaven that you want. You see, this is our Savior's desire. More than that, his will. That they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, in Emmanuel's land. But, beloved, that we may be with him there, we must first be with him here, you understand. If we spend our life in Christ, then in him we die. And if we die in him, we shall forever live in and with him. But those who live for self and sin and deny him in their worldly ways, how can they expect to be with him in heaven? And so, beloved, maintain habitual fellowship with Christ here below. And undoubtedly, you shall be with him hereafter in the realm above. You must have Christ always, not as an occasional guest who comes and goes, but as the a permanent resident, a constant companion in your heart by faith. He must be with you in all places and at all times and wherever you go, whatever you do. And if Christ is us with you through life in this way, when death comes to separate you from all that you love here below, it cannot separate you from him. But living in him, in him you shall die, and so be forever with the Lord. And our Lord prays that his people may be with him for a purpose, that they might see his glory, that beatific vision. And what glory? Well, the glory which the Father gave him as a reward of his work, of his obedience and death. It is all the glory of God, the Father of glory bestowed on the God-man as the reward for, for his for his uh, toil and the uh, uh, travail of soul. This glory was given him as a reward and also that he might share it with his own, that he might bestow it upon all those whom the Father had given him as a free, undeserved gift. And it's not beheld from afar as the rich man in hell saw Lazarus afar off in the bosom of Abraham. It is both to behold and to be with him this unhindered fellowship. We'll see him as he is. We'll gaze at God's form in the flesh, face to face, no longer in a mirror dimly, beholding his glorified humanity unveiled, majestic and splendid, and we'll know perfect, intimate, holy fellowship with him eternally. I, I'm not smart. I don't really have all the words for it, but I did find a great quote from an old Presbyterian uh, named William Henry Green my favorite, one of my favorite quotes on this subject. William Henry Green taught at Old Princeton back in the day, and this comes from a book entitled uh, The Princeton Sermons. It's kind of a long quote, but I think it's worth every minute. Here's how he describes this. What rapture in the thought of beholding the face of our Redeemer and Lord. 
who from love to us forsook the glories of heaven to suffer and die for our salvation, to see the very head that was crowned with thorns, the hands that were pierced with nails, the face that sweat great drops of blood in the agony of the garden, the lips from which issued such words of grace and tenderness and compassion, to see Jesus, who snatched us from perdition by the sacrifices of himself, to whom we have clung by eager faith as our only hope for pardon and peace with God and everlasting life, that gracious Savior, who has been our all in all, who has spoken peace to our troubled souls and whispered to our contrite hearts, thy sins are forgiven thee, who has borne with us in our weakness and our waywardness, who has cheered us in our hours of despondency and gloom, who has sustained and helped us by his grace and led us all along our course and guarded and sheltered us and given us the victory and shed his love abroad in our hearts and purged us from our sins and delivered us out of all our fears and prepared a mansion for us in his own blessed abode and opened heaven for us and brought us safely there to be with him forever. Oh, with what bursting gratitude and joy the love of our ransomed souls gaze and gaze forever unwearied on the sacred form of him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood while our adoring amazement, glad surprise, and admiring thankful love swell beyond all bounds. And then he says this, what higher idea can we have of supreme felicity than to be with Jesus where he is? Himself adored and worshiped and praised by countless multitudes of glorious and holy creatures who ascribe to him without ceasing blessing and honor and glory and power. And he concludes, oh, the magnificence of the scene that opens to the gaze of him in whom the petition is fulfilled. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me will be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory. It's a wonderful description, hard to improve upon those words in my judgment. And so it is that, beloved, no corner of the cosmos holds a candle to this, to standing in Christ's immediate unhindered presence, feasting our eyes upon the effulgence of his glory in the paradise of God and in the glory of Emmanuel's land. His presence is beyond compare, no other vision of grandeur even comes close and incredibly the, 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 the most staggering part is that he also wants you and me there with him. He desires our presence with him. It made me think of a story that Sinclair Ferguson told once about um, a dream that he had as a young Christian. And his account goes like this. He says, in it, I had died and gone to heaven. I was surprised to be greeted and welcomed by friends who were already there, 
although they were just a little older than I was. But as they crowded round to greet me, I saw myself saying, let me get to Jesus. I want to see Jesus. And then he says, I've always felt slightly guilty about the fact that I might have been caught pushing in heaven. And he continues, but the words I heard myself speak have been a constant reminder to me of the heart and goal of the Christian life. Let me get to Jesus. I want to see Jesus. And incredibly, that is the heart and goal of Christ's prayer for his people. Father, I will that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am to see my glory. And just a, a brief word about the rationale Jesus presents as a foundation this petition or what forms the core of this request or a supplication. Right? He orders his cause with an argument, with, and that's indicated by the word because in our text. He's saying, do all this, Father, because. Let those whom you have given me be with me where I am to behold my glory because. Because what? Well, the reason follows. Because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. Now, there's many reasons, each of which our Lord might have urged, but here he presses the very strongest of them. Love is the strongest of arguments. And there are many loves which might have been brought forth here as reasons for the fulfillment of this prayer. It's guarantee. There's example... Uh, for example, the Christians love for one another. All right, we love one another. That love is very strong and abiding. Behold how these Christians love one another. But that's not the reason which is offered here, is it? He doesn't say, "Into all this, Father, that I have asked, because they love one another. Although you might admit that that is true and could form a strong argument. But it's not what he says. And then there's the love that each of us has for God, right? And that love is stronger, even stronger than our love for one another. But neither is that the reason offered here, right? Jesus doesn't say, Father, grant all this that I have asked for because they love you. Well, that too could have been, would have been true and made an argument. And then again, there's that love that each Christian has for the Lord Jesus, that they might also, and that might also have been put forth as an argument, but neither is that said. He doesn't argue because they have loved me. And still further, there's a love that God the Father has for the people whom he chose and gave to the Son. A love like unto and equal with the love that God the Son has for the people whom the Father gave unto him. So there is that love of God for us. But that Neither is that the reason which is offered here. Jesus doesn't say, because you love them. And neither does he say, because I love them. Grant these things. No, it's love of another kind that he speaks here. It's another kind of love which is the source and foundation of all these and of all other loves that are good and holy and true. This particular love is the very love which the eternal Father 
has for the eternal Son in the fellowship of the Holy Trinity. That's the reason offered here. See, that's the argument that Jesus urges, you might say. He says, Father, do all this that I have asked for because you loved me before the foundation of the world. And so this argument, resounding with boundless, boundless depths, it, it lifts the cause above and beyond things temporal. It stretches back to the depths of eternity. Before the world's foundation was laid, before the, the Lord even said, let there be light. It takes the cause within the veil and rests all on the eternal and immeasurable love of God for God. It anchors the argument, as it were, to the rock of ages, ultimately resting not on our love for God, not on our love for one another, not even on God's love for us, but instead, even better, on the love of the eternal Father for the eternal Son, the everlasting love of God for God. And that is the one bond which cannot be broken. And when we come to this, we come to this, we find profound comfort and strong consolation. It's because you have loved me, Jesus said to the Father. And we think of that wondrous you, the everlasting I am, and that wondrous me, the word made flesh who dwelt among us. Then we take heart. And we can even say with the Apostle Paul, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And we ask, who or what shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord? And the answer is no one, nothing in all creation. And that's because the Father always loves the Son and always answers his prayers, not only for your preservation and your sanctification by the truth and your unification as the people of God on earth, but also for your glorification in heaven. And congregation, this is the ultimate goal Jesus pursues for all of his own. This is the result that he's envisioned since the beginning. This is the design behind all of his work for you. This is the intent of all his work in you. This is the crowning burden of, or, and core of his intercessions on your behalf. Is this what you are living for and striving after and reaching unto? Is it the center of your hopes, the object of your desires, the mark towards which you are pressing, to which your struggles are directed? Is your heart fixed not on an earthly but a heavenly aim? And does this enter into your daily and constant thoughts and plans so that heaven seems to you not as an unwelcome intruder into your busy schedules and not as an interruption uh, of your cherished plans, not as a sudden stop to your ambitions and pursuits and not a reversal of all that you're engaged in. No, but as uh, rather as its legitimate expected longed for consequence as the, the final step forward in the direction that you've been pressing all along and which puts proper finish to your entire life as a child of God. Beloved, is your treasure in heaven 
or is it on earth? And the answer to this question will reveal to which world you truly belong and in which world you shall take your portion and inheritance forever. <clears throat> so I was thinking through this text, I thought of a, an old Presbyterian poem. Um, I think it was Ralph Erskine that wrote it, but I've come to really appreciate it. Um, and in this poem, I'll, I'll, I'll read it, but uh, it, 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 it's, kind of, it's giving us a vision of the glorified saint, sort of in view as, as singing uh, while they you know, cross the threshold into the Father's house, as they kind of enter into heaven. And here, here's what it says. It's just beautiful. Glory to God that here we come, and glory to the glorious Lamb, our light, our life, our joy, our all, is in our arms, and ever shall. Our Lord is ours and we are his. Yea, now we see him as he is. And hence, we like unto him are and full his glorious image share. No darkness now, no dismal night, no vapor intercepts the light. We see forever face to face the highest prince in highest place. This, this does heaven afford. We are forever with the Lord. We want no more, for all is given. His presence is the heart of heaven. And so, my friends, as we close, let us anchor our souls in certainty. Jesus our high priest fervently intercedes on our behalf. His effectual plea to the Father resounds with the ardent desire that we, his chosen ones, would be with him where he is, basking in the radiance of his glory. We tread our earthly path. As we do so, let's embrace the truth that our true home lies beyond this fleeting temporal realm. Earthly riches here fade against the eternal splendor that awaits us there. With unwavering hope, let us orient our lives towards the heavenly goal. In the hustle and bustle of our daily lives, let us remember the unbreakable bond of the eternal love between the Father and the Son. The plea, because you loved me before the foundation of the world, beloved, that secures our everlasting destiny. That is the guarantee of glorification. And so, dear brothers and sisters, let's press on with renewed purpose, keeping our hearts attuned to the eternal and upward call of God, eagerly anticipating that day when we stand in our Savior's glorious presence in all we do. May our lives echo our Lord's prayerful desire where he says, Father, I desire that they also may be with me where I am to see my glory. Let's never forget that. Let those words linger in our hearts guiding our steps, shaping our priorities. May we be a people defined by our heavenly hope, our steadfast faith, and our unyielding love for the one who first loved us. Our journey continues, rejoicing in the promise of Christ's answered prayer. Let's pray.